Uh, there's lots of new things happening on our website, so if you would um, just make a point, if you've got a computer, yeah, breadcrumbs is starting. I was hoping to get it started on the 1st of January, but typically, uh, typical of me, I was late in planning it, and so we couldn't do it. So it'll start probably next Monday. Um, this is the um, penultimate uh, session in knowing peace in a shaking world so we've got one more week next week and then the following week which is the 23rd of january we're going to start a new study and it's called resurrection life um, and i'm writing it at the moment and we're going to go through first corinthians the letter to the corinthians and so um, because i know that some people miss the um, precept workbook I don't know if they do in the morning, but definitely in the evening, people miss it. Uh, if you tell me that you want, or tell us, um, Wendy or Rosie, that you want a workbook, you know, the precept upon precept workbook that takes you through all the lessons, if you tell us, we'll order you one, and then you'll pay for Obviously, you have to pay for it when it comes. Um, but it will take you through the, for those who've done the homework before, Debbie, I don't think you've done them, have you? I could show you a workbook, and you can have a look at it. Um, uh, you'll be able to do the homework in the routine, disciplined way that you were before. Much more in-depth homework than my little questions. So, But I'll still be doing questions. So if you don't want to do the preset workbook, if you don't want the um, five hours homework a week and you just want my questions, then don't order a book. Is that okay? Everybody understand that? Okay. So let's pray then. Father, first we want to lift up Linda to you and say... Lord, thank you that she's in your hands. Thank you that even now I know that you will be speaking to her. She'll be talking with you and and uh, you will be um, assuring her of your presence and, and the fact that she will recover from this. Lord, I pray that that would be fast, that she would... Um, uh, be able to deal with the shock and the uh, nervousness that will result in uh, when she is out, up and about again, Lord God. Thank you that you do help us to get over those things and, and that you will uh, do that for Linda. And I pray, Lord, that all the aches and pains that she has, the bruising on her face and in other parts of her body will be nothing more than that, just just bruises and aches and pains and that you will bring her through so that next Tuesday she can be here with us. Thank you, Lord, that we can put all of this online so that um, if if any of us can't make um, one week, we can listen to it and um, catch up. So thank you, Father, that um, you've made all of this possible for us. We live in a time when we can have access to so much, Lord God. Thank you. And thank you most for your word, Lord, which is... Just, I don't know, just such a blessing in our lives. Thank you that you speak through it. Thank you that you guide us and direct us through it. Help us now, Lord, as we um, get into this uh, session seven to hear you speak. In Jesus' name, amen. Um, okay, so um, we finished last time. I think we were in... Um, uh, John 16, I think we finished with, um, I mean, we're all over the place, So, but I think one of the scriptures we looked at at the end of last time was John 16, verse 33. Um, I have said these things to you, that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but take courage because I have overcome the world. Um, John 16, verse 3. So what do you know about the peace that Jesus... Um, offers or gives. Yeah, 
It's beyond understanding, really. Yeah, yeah, it is. Paul calls it in Philippians 4, verse 7, the peace that surpasses all comprehension or understanding, yeah. Um, but, so what do you make, what is the peace that Jesus gives us that surpasses all understanding? What do you know about that peace? It's ours, yeah. It's a, an assurance, yeah, but just about the peace itself. What, what do you know about the peace? If it surpasses all comprehension, all understanding, what do you know about it? It's from God, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, all true, all of that true. But don't you think also one of the big things about the peace that passes all understanding that Jesus says he gives us, hello Christian, morning, morning, is um, it will make no sense to the world. It will make no sense at all to the world. So the sort of peace that Jesus is talking about um, makes no sense. If you go back to John 14, 14, 27, my peace I give to you, he says, my peace I give to you, not as the world gives, um, 14, 27, peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you, not as the world gives do I give to you. Do not let your heart be troubled, nor let it be fearful. So there's a we're not just a sense, the truth about this peace is the world will not understand it. The world cannot know this peace. Why not? Because they don't know the Lord. Okay, so but go a bit deeper than that. So they don't know the Lord. So how come you know the peace? Hmm? They haven't got his spirit, which means... Because he is the peace. He is the peace that is given to us. In Philippians 4, remember what, uh, 4 verse 7, which we've just said, the peace that surpasses all comprehension. If you go down a couple more verses, it says, and if you practice these things and do these things, the God of peace will be with you. It's because God is peace, because Jesus is peace, that we have peace. So that means then, what does that mean actually? When should you have peace? All the time, all the time. We have that saying, don't we? God is good all the time, all the time. God is good. So you could change that word good and you could put um, God is peace all the time. All the time, God is peace. That means we should be living in a constant state of peace. <laughs> so if we're not, what does that mean? If you are not living in a constant state of peace, rest, calm, you're not trusting God or, hmm, or you're not walking with God or there's something you're not believing about God or you're believing a lie or you're allowing the distraction of this world to come in and take over. Now, you know what I mean. The other day I woke up and you'll have this experience, I'm sure. I woke up the other morning, I'd had a bad dream and um, I couldn't, it took me five minutes to get it out of my head. And it was a battle to get it out of my head. I had to fight to get that out. And I had to keep reminding myself of the truth of who Jesus is and who God is and who I am in him and how nothing can separate me from his love and nothing can come against me except it comes through his hands. So, so what do you know about the peace that Jesus is, that the world doesn't understand, that the enemy will try to remove from you? What else do you know about that peace? 
Even though it's God himself who is with you, you have to fight for it. It's a hard thing to think you've got to fight for peace because fighting and peace seem to be the opposite. But you have to fight. How do you fight? Yeah. Praying. What did you say? Exactly. You have to pick up the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. And it is the Rema word. When you read that word for word in um, Ephesians 6, it's Rema. It isn't Logos. The Logos is the complete Word of God, the complete counsel of God. All of this is the Logos. When John writes, in the beginning was the Word, he actually writes in Greek, in the beginning was the Logos. And the Logos is the thought of God made into words. So it's God's thought in words. And God, and Jesus is, if you like, part of God. It's his thoughts in action. It's his, that's the Logos. But the Rema, R-H-E-M-A, is the individual word of God. The word of God that speaks into your individual situation. So if you are lacking peace... You almost certainly, you're all of you in in the Logos. (laughs) You're in the Word of God. It's the whole counsel of God, the whole thoughts. It has the idea of thoughts expressed. It's God's thoughts expressed in words. So, but the Logos is the whole of this book. But if you want a specific, if, if the enemy comes at you and tries to steal your peace, you need a specific word to come against him in that. Because, you know, if you've woken up as I did with a bad dream, it's probably, I don't know, um, it's probably not much good to remember, sanctify them in the truth, your word is truth. I mean, it might be, but it'd be a bit of a stretch. When I wake up in a bad dream and it's something terrible, what I need to know is nothing can separate me from the love of God, that you will never forsake me nor leave me, that nothing can happen to me, that the plans and purposes of God cannot be stopped, and that with God ev- nothing is impossible. I need to know specifics that deal with my situation. Or do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. I need to have specifics to fight specific threats. That's the Rema. That's the Rema word. R-H-E-M-A. And if you... It means the specific word of God. A specific word of God for a specific situation. Now think about it. Have you ever done one of those studies that show you about the... the, um, the armour of God in, in Ephesians 6. Have you ever seen the pictures of it and everything? Have you ever seen a picture of the sword? The Roman sword that Paul was basing it on. The Roman sword is not a long fencing sword. You know, it's a short dagger. What does that mean? If he's picturing a short dagger, that enemy is very close to you and you need to fight up close. That's why you need the Rema word. You see, your fencing sword's wonderful, isn't it? You can wave the word of God around and you can, you know, um, you will keep in perfect peace those whose minds are steadfast on you. That's the fencing sword. It's true. It's all true. But sometimes you need that short, sharp blade that gets the enemy right where he's trying to get you. You Go on. Well, the Holy Spirit is, yeah, the, the, the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, the sword of the Spirit. And so that's why memorizing Scripture is really important. 
because you know the Word of God. You're all studying the Word of God. You know that um, that there's truth in these pages. And when you got up out of bed, as when I got up out of bed, I could have gone to my Bible and I could have turned the pages and I would have found something. But I needed something in my bed right then. I needed something to come at him with. So memorizing scripture is important. Um, it's important. You, you know, we think of it as a bit of a, t- a tedious thing, but it's really important because it is the, uh, the um, weapon um, that, uh, that we can use. So, um, okay, so Jesus is saying, John 14, John 16, um, in me you have peace, I'm in you, you're in me, you have peace. The world won't understand this peace. It's a peace that passes all comprehension, all understanding. And the ultimate reason for that is that it is not human peace, it is God's peace. And it comes to you by the presence of God who lives within you by his spirit. And it is thought for when you pick up the individual words, the Rima word of God and the verses of God and you fight back at the enemy or at your circumstances or, you know, I have a good friend whose uh, husband's in hospital and is very, very, very poorly. Um, he's been almost dying every day for the over Christmas period and he's still not out of the woods. He still may die. And, um, and she's been facing that all the way through this thing, yet she knows this peace that passes all understanding because God has just wrapped her around in this peace and she's able to when she gets you know when something else happens and something else happens because her story is much like Job's story I have to say get over one thing and then something else comes and then it's she's fighting back with the re- with the word of God the specific word of God and you know it's an amazing testimony and I hope one day you get to hear it because it is an amazing testimony of the power of God's word or well, the power of God and the power of his word as she Uh, fights with it. So uh, last time um, we had that little song, Oh What Peace We Often Forfeit, all because we don't bring, what is it? Um, Everything to him in prayer, yeah. So we have to come to Jesus and um, ask, fight for his peace, you know, come to him and say, I know that you are peace and that you live within me. and I'm expecting, and I, uh, I'm expecting to um, continue in that peace. Matthew 28:19 and 20. Uh, what's the reason, or what, what's the reason you and I are still on the planet? Yeah, God's grace. But for what purpose? What purpose are you still here? Yeah, glorify God, make Him known. Matthew 28. Go and make disciples, teaching them to do all that I commanded you, and lo, I am with you always until the end of the age. Matthew 28, 19 and 20. And that um, that starts with, um, uh, let me just, Matthew 28, is it in 19? Sorry, my new Bible, the pages are thin, and it takes me a while to get them. 
Um, starts in verse 18. And Jesus came up and spoke to them saying, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the ends of the age. What does he mean? What, what difference does it make rather that all authority has been granted to Jesus? All authority in heaven and on earth has been granted to Jesus. Satan has none, yeah. Yeah, things that happen have been allowed, but I really take, make it more personal instead of me telling you not to. We have authority. Why do we have authority? Because he's in us and we're in him. We're his representative. We've been left here to represent him. We have his authority. Now, we're not God, so we're, we don't have God's... We're not God, so we don't, can't do anything and everything we want to do. But he in us, if we are aligning ourselves with his will, and if we are trusting in him, we are able to do um, anything that he's calling us to do. What does that mean in terms of um, your life? Hmm? It's not your own, and yes. But what does it mean if he's got all authority and he's in you? What does it mean? I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Why? Because all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to him. And because I'm seated with him in heavenly places. And he is far above all rule and authority and every name that is named. These things all connect. They all connect. Now, when you wake up in the morning, you look in the mirror, do you see a person with authority? No, you don't. And when you wake up after a bad dream, you don't feel like you've got much authority, which is why you must remember the scriptures. You have to. No, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. No, no weapon formed against me will prosper. No, I am taking captive every thought and, and to, the, to the obedience of Christ. These things all matter. They all matter, and that's the way we fight. And if you do that, what's going to happen in your life? You're going to have victory. And when you have victory, what's going to happen? You'll have peace. And when you have peace, what's going to happen? The peace that passes all understanding, which is the expression of Christ himself, actually, through you. Happiness, <laughs> yeah, happiness, happiness, happiness. Yes, thank you, Kristen. We'll let you sing that later. You exactly. You'll be able to hear his voice more clearly, not tossed about by all the stuff that's coming on. And more, most importantly, what is your job? Why, why are you here? What's the purpose for your life? To go and make disciples. Why will someone want to listen to you when you're telling them about Jesus? Because you have joy and peace and victory and you are not tossed about by any wind of doctrine and you have authority in your life. You have self-control. You're not uh, under the control of Satan. You're not having to go this way when he says and that way. You walk a straight path. You acknowledge God. What does it say in uh, Proverbs 3, 5 and 6? You don't know, do you? But I do because I memorized it. Very good. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean. Oh, this is excellent. Excellent. 
In all your ways, acknowledge him and he will make your path straight. What does it mean, making your path straight? Yeah, but it also means I'm not going to take a detour this way and I'm not going to take a detour that way and I'm not going down that rabbit trail because the enemy of my soul is calling me down there. I'm not going down this way because, you know, I've heard a lie and I think it's true. Why not? Because I am going to make it my business to fill my mind with the Word of God, to fill my heart with the Word of God, so much so that I can speak it out when I hear the lie. See what I mean? I can speak it. I know it. I don't have to go and look in, even in my Bible. I don't have to run to my Bible to hear the, the, the lie. I start to recognize it. And that's what we need. And when you live like that, oh my goodness, people see that. They see that. They just see a person who's not thrown, who can come through. My friend, uh, I speak to her most days, once or twice a day, and... Um, She's had the most amazing things in, in the hospital, amazing conversations with people. Her son is saying to her, I don't know how you're like you are. Because what she has is the indomitable, I can't say that word properly, spirit of God in her. And he is making himself known through her, to her and through her. And she has the peace that passes all understanding because she has the God who is peace within her. And that witness is unassailable. People cannot explain that. And they want to know why and how. How can you be like that in this situation? So in a way, um, you would not never have to talk about it. I mean, you would have to say the name of Jesus, but you wouldn't really have to be telling people anything because in the midst of your trial, your whole life, your whole demeanor would be witnessing to Christ. That's where we want to be, isn't it? This study is called Knowing Peace in a Shaking World. And of course, the way that we know peace is that we know Christ and that we continue to grow in our knowledge of him. Colossians 2, I think it's Colossians 2 verse 3 says, In him are all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Wisdom on knowing how to live and how to, how to get through the difficulties of life. <coughs> So, yeah, verse 3, Suzanne, yeah. Colossians 2, verse 3, I think. Okay, so uh, what we're going to spend some time on uh, this morning is Second Peter. I think there was Second Peter, some questions in the homework, which you did or didn't do. Um, Colossians 2, verse 3 was the, in him are all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. I think it's Colossians 2. Yeah, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. We're going to spend some time in Second Peter, um, chapter one, and um, so if you could turn there in your Bible, and if someone could read the first four verses, please. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who reside as aliens scattered throughout Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia. No, you're in First Peter. I thought it was slightly. I thought maybe you had a different Second Peter, please. No, it's okay. Just a couple of pages. Second Peter, chapter one. No, you read it, Barbara. Go on. Chapter one, verse one to four. 
Simon Peter, a bondservant and apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who have received a faith of the same kind as ours, by the righteousness of our God and Saviour, Jesus Christ, grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. Seeing that his divine power has granted to us everything pertaining to life and godliness, through the true knowledge of him who called us, by his own glory and excellence. For by these he has granted to us his precious and magnificent promises, so that by them you may become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world. Thank you. Now, Peter is, as you can see here, he calls himself an apostle, a bondservant and apostle of Jesus Christ. He's one of the 11 disciples who were with Jesus and heard him say face to face, my peace I give to you, not as the world gives do I give. So he is a person who spent three years with Jesus and then in those last days and hours before Jesus' death, Jesus spent... In, was spent that time with him and the other ten telling them about what they would need to know when Jesus had gone and he's passing that on to us and he's passing on to us the reality of who we are he begins in 2 Peter chapter 1 he begins with who we are in Christ Jesus because in order to live to fight for peace to fight for joy to be a witness to do what he heard Jesus say go into all the world and make disciples in order to do that you have to know certain things about yourself and you have to know them and believe them and leave them behind do you know what I mean? This is the elementary stuff. I'm talking to people who have been studying for a while. This is the, the truth about who you are and you need to know this. And also you need to see something we need to see, sorry, not you. We need to see something in this about peace and grace and the things that he's telling us. All the way through this chapter, we'll see, we're going to finish the chapter next week, you'll see that these things that are true about us are not static. They don't just, you don't just get given a peanut or a whatever, a Brazil nut, and it stay that size. You get given a seed, and it grows and matures and you become more and more and more full of grace and peace and joy as you do what you've been left to do here. So let's, um, let's just go through these first four verses. Um, you could say a lot about Peter, couldn't you? How he was and what he was like. But the interesting thing is the way he describes himself at the beginning. Just um, uh, Simon Peter, a bondservant. Oh, and also an apostle. Wouldn't you, if you were writing a letter to someone, the whole church, wouldn't you say, oh, uh, this is Peter, and I mean, I'm like number one disciple? Well, you wouldn't, because you're all nice, but, you know, you'd be tempted to, wouldn't you? You'd be tempted to, to show some authority. 
But the authority in this verse, or the authority with which he writes, is not only that he was an apostle of Jesus, but that he is a bondservant. So I, I, this bondservant, this idea of a voluntary slave to Jesus, someone who's been set free and who has given back the freedom to say to his master, I want to follow you, I want to live with you. Look up the definition of a bondslave. A bondslave is a person who has been given their freedom but who has said, I don't want to go away from my master, I want to stay with you. If you are that person, you have the living Jesus Christ within you and all authority has been given to him and he is in you. Um, what does he say? Who's he writing to? To those who have received a faith of the same kind as ours. The word kind means value. So to, I'm writing to all those people to who've received the same type, the same kind of faith, the same value of faith as, as we've received, as I've received. Who does that mean? That means me and you, Jackie, just the two of us, not any of these, no. We've all, if you have believed in the Lord Jesus Christ, you received that faith. You received it from whom? From God, from God. It's a mystery, isn't it? You thought you were doing it on your own, but he actually gave it to you. He gave it to you. And so you received this faith of, of the same kind as ours. How did it come to you? Yeah, but how does he, what does he say here, Kim? What was this, how was this faith made available to you? By the righteousness of, God, of our God and Saviour, Jesus Christ. If Jesus had not been righteous, where would be faith? There'd be no faith. The faith that we have, that was given to us, that we received, came to us through, by the righteousness of Jesus Christ, who is God and Saviour. Why does Peter write that? Our God and Saviour, Jesus Christ? Because some people think he's writing about two different beings, our God and Saviour. Yes, yeah, the same. How do you know that, Kim? <laughs> yeah. Because if you go back to the Old Testament, God will say, I am God and there is no other. There is no saviour but me. So in a way that's a mystery, this trinity, this three-in-one God, all equal, God is saviour. Jesus is God. He is son of God and God in the flesh. It, yes, yes, and don't you? So do I. <laughs> I get it, I find it hard. He is God, so he is God and saviour. And then what does he say in verse 2? In the knowledge of God and our Lord Jesus, and Jesus our Lord. Okay, so grace and peace be multiplied to you. Now you could think that this was like a little kind of opening sentence, you know, oh, peace be with you, you know, grace be with you. But it's not. This is the whole purpose of his letter. Go to chapter 3, verse 18, chapter 3 of Second Peter. Yeah. Well, let's start in 17. You therefore, beloved, knowing this beforehand, be on your guard so that you are not carried away by the error of unprincipled men and fall from your own steadfastness, but grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Saviour Jesus Christ. Um, this, so P 
Peter's introduction is not just an introduction. It's the purpose of his letter that we would understand that grace and peace are something that come to us from outside ourselves and they're not ours by nature. They're not ours by right. And Peter is desiring, he wants everyone who reads this letter, everyone who, who has received this faith of the same kind of his to grow in um, this grace, that we might abound, multiply in grace and peace. Um, um, and how does that, how will that happen? How, yeah, how, how will it, he says it will happen in or through the knowledge of God. So can you see, I mean, it's like, it's like the doctrine of the entire Bible is in the first three verses of this, this letter. The faith that you've received, well, the faith that you have, you received. It's not your own. You received it. You received it by the righteousness of Christ. It was made available to you by the fact that Jesus Christ is, was righteous. It's the same value as everybody, everybody else's faith. There's no difference between Peter's faith and your faith. It is a gift from God. The difference may come in whether or not you have grown in grace and peace. Whether you have uh, made it your business to um, apply all diligences, which is what he's going to say in verse um, 5. Now, for this very reason, applying all diligence, if you have put yourself to the task of growing in your knowledge of God, because in your knowledge of God, everything else gets multiplied. How can Peter say that? Well, he's experienced it. And, and what did he hear Jesus say? In John 17, just before he prays for, for every disciple and every believer that's ever lived or ever will live, he says, and this is eternal life. What? That you might know God, the one true God and Jesus Christ whom he has sent. Knowing God is life. Life eternal. Knowing God multiplies grace and peace. Knowing God is joy. Knowing God is everything. Knowing God allows you to live a victorious, undefeated Christian life. Knowing God. And you see, what we have to be aware of, isn't it, is all the things that come at us as Christians that say, you better go here and learn this, and you better go here and learn this, and you need to have this program, and you need to do this, and you need to do this, and you need to do the other thing. And all the time, the Bible says, just know God. Know God. Know God and know life. I, could, I want to cry because it's 2018, you know, I, I just want to cry because God, I think God is giving us a wonderful opportunity to say no to everything else and yes to I am making it my business this year to know God and to know Jesus. To know him like I didn't know him last year. To go deeper in my experience. And the wonderful thing is that when I say that, when I, God wants me to do that more than I want to do it. So I'm going to take one little tiny step and he's going to shh. 
He's going to pull me into the deep end and he's going to show me love and grace and joy and peace like I've never experienced. I mean, don't you want that? I want that. I want that above everything else. I don't care if you don't come with me. I want to go there. I want to be there. As long as God's there, that's it. Yeah, exactly. As Moses said. Thank you, Suzanne. Yeah. So... Knowing God is the means by which our grace, our peace, everything about our Christian life is multiplied and abundant. If you want to know peace, no matter the circumstances, you have to know God. You have to know God. If you want to know joy, you have to know God. If you want victory, you have to know God. There's no shortcut. I've got loads of notes here, as usual. Hello, Michelle. We're not, um, you know, we're going to go on and we're going to look at First Corinthians in a couple of weeks' time. And, um, you know, but we're not looking at that letter just for the sake of studying Scripture. Why are we looking at First Corinthians? To know God. To know God to know God. We're looking at that to know God. And through that knowledge of God, what do we expect to happen? We're going to grow in grace and peace. And when we grow in grace and peace, what's going to happen? Hey? It'll overflow. And what will happen when it overflows? People will see it. And then what will happen? They'll want what we have. And then what will happen? They'll become disciples. And then what will happen? The kingdom will grow. The kingdom will grow. And that prayer that we say, Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, in a spiritual sense, will start to come. And we will align ourselves with the work of Jesus. What did he say in Matthew 16? He said to Peter, uh, Who do people say that I am? And then some say this, some say that. But who do you say that I am? And all of us, all of us, who do we say that Jesus is? You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Right? That's who we say he is. That's who we say with our mouth. And that's what we start to say with our lives, with the grace that we show to other people, with the peace that we have no matter the circumstances, with the joy even at the darkest time in our life. We start to say, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And other people see that. And you know when Jesus says, and on this rock I will build my church, and what? And the gates of Hades will not overpower it. How will he build his church? On the rock of our statement, Jesus is Christ. He is the Christ, the Son of the living God. And our lives that show witness to that. And we, we will be his builders, his master builders, Paul says. His farmers, we'll be sowing the seed, we'll be watering it, we'll be building it. So many examples of tradesmen who did certain things, that's who we will be. And we will build a church that even the gates of Hades will not overpower. I don't know if we've got another time of revival coming. I don't know. But I'm going to live as if there is. Do you see what I mean? I don't know what God's going to do. I don't know when he's coming back. Could be next week, could be tomorrow, could be today. I don't know when my time on earth will finish. But until it does, I'm going to live as if my life can make a difference. 
I think last time um, I last time I talked a little bit about developing this um, knowing God <coughs> and this relationship with the Father in secret. Do you remember we looked at Matthew chapter six and we saw uh, Jesus say, "When you fast." do it in secret. When you pray, do it in secret. When you give, do it in secret. And and in Matthew chapter 6, which is the middle of the Sermon on the Mount, you get the, uh, well, not the impression, God is, uh, Jesus is saying, the sort of growing in the knowledge of God that we must do as disciples, as those who know God, is a secret kind of thing. It's, he doesn't mean don't you know, just cover it up, like, don't let anyone see. What he means is the way to develop our relationship with God is primarily done alone with God. I mean, we meet together, we look at the word together, we, you know, you might make notes, I've got pages of notes, you know, you look through it, you, you know, but the, the way that this is developed, the way that it grows in us is when we take this on our own, you know, I get most of my insight from my daily reading. <laughs> most of it is just from the little, the discipline that I do, making myself read the Bible every day and praying about what I read and asking God to show me something. Not necessarily something new, because I've been studying for a long time, but something more, something deeper, something more wider, some new angle that I haven't seen before. And I ask him to do that. And he does do it. And so that's, and you're not with me then. Do you know what I mean? And it's not all glitzy and standing up at the front. Not that I'm glitzy standing at the front anyway, but you know what I mean. It's not so public. It's not, oh, look at Anne. She's so spiritual. You know, it's just, it's just me and him. In my, yeah, in my pajamas with a cup of str- strong coffee. It's just the two of us. Now, I'm not saying everything comes then, but the, the vast majority of my growing is done through that. If you're not reading through the Bible in a year, you should be reading through the Bible in a year. Not should be. You want to be reading through the Bible in a year. You do. I mean, honestly, it's not arduous. I can give you a Bible reading plan. It's so simple. You read a couple of chapters in the Old Testament, one psalm, a couple of sentences in Proverbs, and one chapter in the New Testament. Each day. day. Breadcrumbs, this new series, is about that. It's just the things that I'm seeing as I go through the um, my Bible reading. And on, I think on the website already I've put a thing. Email me with what you see. Email me with what you see. Because... No one's got a monopoly. And I want to know what you see because I might not have seen that. God might not have shown me that. And I want to know it because I want to know everything I can about Jesus and about God. Why? Because I want to be able to live the Christian life. I want to be able to live with victory. I I don't want to be thrown by everything that's going to come at me. You know, I'm 65 years old. I mean, I know I look so far from that. I know. (laughs) But seriously, I'm 65. You know, what have I got? 20 years at most? I mean, I smoked like a trooper till I was 40, and I drank like a fish until I was 50-odd, so I probably have done damage. So, 
you know, I've probably got 20 years at most and, and probably only another five or six or ten at most that people might listen to me <laughs> before I look like my mum looked, you know. Although she looked pretty good, I have to say, because she didn't do any of those things. But the time I've got left is short. I'm not wasting it, you know, anymore. And you too. There's a lot of people in this room, and you're not my age maybe, but you're up there. You know... Don't waste your time. Don't waste your time. Don't say, oh, I must do that. I really must get that reading plan or fan. I'm, I really must do that. And I'll do that next week. Oh, yeah, let me make a note to remind myself. Do it today. Do it today. I've got the place to get it, and I can even download it and print it off for you. So, mm. No. So I've, I've always read books. Yeah. I believe there's that mess of reading that, which puts things into themes. Yeah, I'm sure there are. I've got Bibles that are um, chronological Bibles at home. If you'd like to borrow one, I can let you have a, one of those. Okay. Um, I'm sure this, um, I'm not sure, but I think this uh, website that I get my reading plan from, which is called the oneyearbibleonline.com. Um, the one year Bible online .com. Um, I'm sure they've got other plans on there. Um, yeah. Hmm. Okay, so one of the things uh, we talked about last time was this Matthew 6 and this in secret relationship, this way of developing our relationship with the Lord that we will be done primarily. Um, alone with him. The reason for this is the reason that it's important to grow in our knowledge of God, the reason that we, we are to spend time alone with him, just with him, is that, um, that there is so much deception out there from all different places. There's deception from the world, there's deception from Satan, there's deception from your own flesh, there's deception in the church, there's deception out there. And when you're alone with God and his word, then and you pray, Lord God, show me the truth here. I'm not saying you'll understand everything. You won't. No one understands everything. But what will happen is you'll start to hear the truth come through the pages and you will know that you know that you know that you know that this is true. And you will build up in yourself a way of seeing the lie very quickly. Remember I've said about the um, bank tellers before. Do you remember bank tellers? When they're being trained or when they were being trained to recognise counterfeit money, they, were, they spent three months handling only real money, no fake at all. They spent three months touching it, moving it, smelling it, tasting it, only real notes, so that at the end of that three months, if a counterfeit note was given to them, they knew instantly that it was fake because they knew the real thing so well. That's what we're supposed to be doing. We're supposed to be knowing the real thing so well that our counterfeit is obvious. It just, you, you just, you know it as soon as you, yeah. Oh, definitely. Yeah, yeah, exactly. 
Okay, so God's promise through Peter then is that as we grow in our knowledge of God, we grow in grace and peace. And as we add to that our in-secret relationship, um, we start to understand deception that's going on. Um, we don't have to look at all the scriptures. Second Peter chapter 3, chapter 4, um, talk about... Uh, the deception that's going on. Second Peter, sorry, Second Timothy, chapter three and chapter four. First um, um, Timothy, Second Peter, the letter we're looking at, Jude. They all talk about um, deception, but by far the greatest deception that the New Testament talks about is where in the church. By far. By far, the deception that the New Testament talks about is inside the church. Inside the church. Why do you think it concentrates on uh, deception or danger inside the church? Yeah, yeah. 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 That's true. That's true. Yeah. Yeah. What else? No. Yeah. 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 It's a captive audience. It's a bit like going home, isn't it? When you you get in your front door, <laughs> it's a storm outside. You get in your front door, you kick your shoes off, you walk into the kitchen, make a cup of tea and sit down, you think, I'm home. All is well. That's what happens. When you go inside a church, inside, a, um, inside the community of believers, that's why the deception is so insidious, because it attacks you at your weakest moment, if you like. You know what I mean by weakest. Obviously, you're strong when you're with believers, but at, when you're not expecting it. I mean, in the days of Second Peter, Christians were starting to be really persecuted. They were dying already for their faith. Um, yet he doesn't really talk about that at all. He doesn't. He, he he doesn't need to really give them much instruction about what to do when they're persecuted. Why not? Yeah, and, yeah, but and, yes, yes, and, that's true, Maureen, yeah, and, I mean, why doesn't he have to, okay, when you're being persecuted, do this, do this, do this, do this, why doesn't he have to do that? Because Jesus promised, when you stand before kings and judges and people, the Holy Spirit will bring to your remembrance everything that I've said to you and will enable you to do whatever you need to do. That's the reason the New Testament doesn't talk much about the persecution. It says you will be persecuted, but it doesn't tell you how to handle it because they knew that God would be right there with you when you're being persecuted. Now, the opposite to that is the deception in the church. How do you fight deception in the church? Or what happens? Why do they have to write so much about deception in the church? Yeah? 
No, but but yeah, but as opposed to like he he doesn't tell them what to do when they're being persecuted. So when the world's coming at them, he's trusting that the Holy Spirit will bring to their remembrance. But when they're inside the church and he's talking, they're talking about deception. What is he expecting of believers to recognize it? How will they recognize it? How will they recognize it? Because they'll know the truth. Now that knowing the truth, you see, why didn't he just say, don't worry about deception in the church? I mean, because when, when you hear deception, the Holy Spirit will just like zap the truth into your mind so you'll know what to do. Why didn't he just say that? Because he said that about persecution from outside. Because part of being um, shielded from the deception inside the church is that you have to do some work about it. The persecution, if you live a godly life, Paul says you'll be persecuted. That's just going to happen. People don't like, or the world doesn't like Christianity because it is a, Jesus is the only way. Yes. And they don't like it. And you will be persecuted if you speak truth and live truth. But inside the church, I know, but that's how they perceive it. They don't want a one road. They want many roads leading. But the thing is, inside the church, the only way to defeat that is to know truth so well. To know so well the truth. And in order to know the truth so well, what do you have to do? You have to be in the word all the time. Hey? Yeah, well, yeah, maybe not a daily plan, but you have to, um, you have to make it your business to know God, to know God. So, Father, thank you that, um, thank you, Lord, that that uh, we are part of a family and that we can help one another. And thank you, Father, that um, you are uh, connecting us in um, through your Word. It's it's just wonderful, Lord. I. It's the most wonderful fellowship, Lord, to be in, and I thank you for it. And I ask, Lord, now that um, you would help us in this second half to stay focused on on what we're looking at um, and to understand that knowing more about you, knowing more who you are, experiencing more of who you are, Lord God, will just help us to live victoriously and to, to know peace in this world that is shaking. Thank you, Lord. Amen. Okay, um, so I said that, um, you know, uh, I quoted from Matthew uh, 16, verse 18, Jesus saying he would build his church and the gates of Hades would not overwhelm it, couldn't come against it. Opposition from outside, uh, that's what the New Testament teaches, opposition from outside of the church will only strengthen the church. So, Persecution of the church, in any place that the church is persecuted, um, that church grows. Yeah, you see it all around the world. What happens is the thing that will, uh, that starts to decimate the church and uh, can't destroy the church because um, the church is Christ's body, so it cannot destroy it, but but it will start to um, uh, affect the church is, is, deception and uh, opposition from within, from within. And so that's why uh, Jesus in, um, in all of his uh, uh, talking to the disciples at the end of his life, uh, all men will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. Um, 
He prayed right at the end in, in uh, John 17 that there would be unity. As he was in unity with his father and fellowship with his father, so so disciples would have unity with one another. Paul in Ephesians 4, make every effort to preserve the unity of the spirit. There is a work that has to be done to preserve the unity that we have in Christ Jesus. And, um, and partly we do that, not just so that we can have a nice happy life and all get on with each other, but so that the world looking on sees a family, sees the new humanity, sees this new community of believers who will actually live for other people rather than themselves. That is, again, another witness to the reality of God's love, his overflowing love that he's given to us through his spirit. So taking that as, well, I think that's a truth in the New Testament, that the opposition that, that will really damage the church comes from within. Um, Peter, Jude, Paul, they all write about it. Jesus actually wrote about it because he talked about hypocrites when even before the church is established he talks about you know this this in secret relationship this reality of relationship as opposed to the hypocritical relationship and all of it is based on a central truth um, about God and about Jesus and that is that Jesus is Lord he is the sovereign Lord and in any place or in any church where that truth is undermined, you will start to have the church um, being destroyed or uh, being uh, you know, hurt significantly. Um, Jude will say in Jude verse 4, uh, well, verse 3, he says, I wanted to write to you that you can, uh, I wanted to write to you about our common salvation, but I couldn't because I had to write to you to contend earnestly for the faith. Why? Because certain people have crept in unnoticed. Certain people have crept in unnoticed. Crept in where? In the church. Certain people have crept in unnoticed and they uh, turn the truth of God, uh, sorry, change the, the grace of God into licentiousness and deny our only Lord and Master, Jesus Christ. That is the central problem in our church today and it has been the problem from the beginning of the church to deny the lordship of Jesus Christ, to deny his right to the throne, to put us on the same level as Jesus, to say that he was just a man or that we are now like him, like gods already. Do you see what I mean? It's like to say that we are God. Um, and it's, it, nobody comes out and says that, really, exactly like that inside the church, because they'd all get stoned, wouldn't they? But, or hopefully. But, but they say it in all sorts of different ways. They say it in the Word of Faith movement. Say, if you just claim it, name it and claim it. And if you're not naming it and claiming it, and if it's not happening, your faith is too weak. You're not doing the right thing or saying the right thing or whatever. Um, See, that's, that's not only destructive for us, but it's destructive for Christ himself. It tramples the name of Jesus. It tramples the truth that he is the sovereign Lord. Every single uh, deception attacks Christ Jesus, Attract, attacks who he is and what he's done. Um, uh, Second Peter, the letter that we're in, Second Peter um, chapter 1, he says... Um, for we did not follow cleverly devised tales when we made known to you the power and coming of the Lord Jesus Christ, but we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. 
He's king. He's Lord. He's sovereign. That's Second Peter, Second Peter chapter one, verse sixteen. And then he says in chapter 2, verse 1, but false prophets also arose among the, the people, just as there will also be false teachers among you who will secretly introduce destructive heresies, even denying the master who bought them, bringing swift destruction upon themselves. There will be false teachers who deny the sovereignty of Jesus, even denying the master who bought them. All the terms that he uses in his letters, that Paul uses, that Jude uses, all the way through the New Testament to say that if if Jesus Christ is in any way diminished, then the church is in massive trouble. Christ must be held up as the sovereign Lord. Um, Why is that then? Yes. Yeah, it's his rightful place. And what's the knock-on effect of it if he is not if he has taken it out of his rightful place? There's no power. There's no power in the church. Exactly. How does the power work through the church? How does the power of Christ work through the church? Through the Holy Spirit, yeah. Yeah, yes, through him and us and us and him. But how does his actual, I mean, why would denying his lordship rob the church of its power? I mean, if we've all got the Holy Spirit, why would it rob the church of his power? Yeah, yes. We're replacing replacing it with ourselves. But also, we have Jesus in us by his spirit, right? But do you think that the Holy Spirit will work in a believer who does not think that Christ is sovereign or who thinks that he or she is still on the throne of he or her, his or her life? You have to vacate the throne of your life and give the throne of your life to Christ with all that that means. Jesus said, didn't he, if anyone would come after me, he must pick up his cross daily and follow me. What does that mean? I think that's in Mark, isn't it? In Mark? Deny ourselves, pick up his cross and follow me. What does that mean? Yes, yeah, all of that. But does it mean you've got to go and die? You know, you, is he talking about you following him to crucifixion? But you, you're, you, if we have this picture. You pick up your cross, right? You're picking up your cross and you're following Jesus. So you're walking to your crucifixion. But a disciple is already crucified. You are already crucified with Christ. Paul will say that in in Romans 6. He'll say, if you are a believer in the Lord Jesus, you have died with Christ. You have, past tense, died with Christ. So your picking up your cross can't be to your death. It must mean something else. What does it mean? Hmm? Yeah, living sacrifice. But when you pick up your cross, what do you think Jesus is trying to tell you to do? What what was the cross to Jesus? What was the cross to Jesus? What was the cross to Jesus? Jesus had eternal life. He was God. Sa- yeah, 
sacrifice for us, but why did he do it? In, what did he do? The cross for Jesus was obedience to his Father, submission to the will of the Father. Gethsemane, there in Gethsemane, the last hours before his crucifixion, what will he say? Father, if it is possible, take this cup from me, yet nevertheless not my will but yours be done. Why did Jesus go to the cross? To follow the Father's plan, to glorify the Father. Everything he did, he said, he did to glorify the Father, to obey the Father, to serve the Father. Yes, he did it for us, of course. He's, his substitute on our behalf enabled us to get to God. But we don't come to God on our own throne. Do you know what I mean? I'm, I think Christians take the idea that one day we will be ruling and reigning with Christ on this planet and they think we're all the same. He and us, like I'm up there with Christ. You know, I'm on my throne, he's on his throne. We're both at the right hand of the throne of God. And we take that just way too far. Do you see what I mean? So what does deny yourself, pick up your cross and follow me? What does that mean? Surrender your life to the will of the Father. And what does that mean? If you're surrendering your life to the will of the Father, what will that actually look like? Submission, Submission to whom? To God. Who will be on the throne of your life? Jesus. Jesus is on the throne of your life. But what does that mean in real practical terms? It means salvation. Yeah, okay, but I want to make it even more practical. I want to tell you, you've just listened to me say this morning that knowing God is the, is the way to increase in grace and peace and to be the witness that we're supposed to be. And you've heard me say that the only way to knowing God is to know his word. You've heard me say that, right? Now, I want to ask you a question. Will you do that every day? Every day, will you pick up his word and read his word because you know that that's the only way you are going to know God? I mean, I'm not saying he can't do other things. Of course he can, but this is the way he's marked out for us. So for you, in order for you to say truly, Jesus is on the throne of my life, it's for you to hear him say you get to know God <laughs> through reading his word and to say, right, I'm going to read his word. That's how you know he's on the throne. You don't know he's on the throne when you say, well, yeah, I really must do that. It sounds like a really good idea, and I definitely will do that. I mean, I, I'm so going to do that next week or next month, you know, because I've got a busy time of it. If you look at my calendar, I just can't do it this week. See what I mean? You can think it's a good idea. You can know it's a good idea. You can tell everybody else to do it. But if you don't do it, you're on the throne and he's not. He's not. So you have to make it as simple and straightforward as you possibly can. You need to, we have to look at our lives and say, I say that I'm surrendered to Christ. I say that he's on the throne. But is he really? It's funny because I would say it the other way around. Christ is on the throne, but we are not. Well, we're not on the throne, correct. We shouldn't be on the throne. He should be on the throne. Exactly, but we come close to his throne of grace, not our throne of grace. You're, you know that, Barbara, it's just the words that get complicated, yeah. So, um, 
So we have that's the whole thing. And and don't don't think that um, just because you're not reading your Bible every day, it doesn't matter. It does. It does, because you are not feeding your mind and your soul with the truth about God. It matters. Now, I wouldn't say this to new believers. I wouldn't be coming up like, you must read your Bible every day. I don't mean it like that. I mean it to people who've been coming here. We know. We know this is true. You know it's true. You know. You've just seen. We grow in grace and peace. We grow in life. We grow in grace. We grow in everything through the knowledge of God. So what do we do to grow in our knowledge of God? And I just want the 2018, you know, if you're not going to do it, just say, I'm not doing that. I don't want to know God any more than I know him now. And then just understand, you're putting yourself in the camp of those who are deceived. Yeah, yeah, it does. Yeah, yeah, you can't stand still. You either go forward or you go back. Okay, Paul speaks about us, doesn't he? He says, we have the mind of Christ. What does he mean about by that? We have the mind of Christ. What does he mean? Yeah, but he just, he says, we have the mind of Christ. So who does he mean in we? Believers, maybe. But in order for you to have the mind of Christ, what do you have to do? You see, the mind of Christ is, is the intelligence and the wisdom and the understanding and the perspective of Christ. How would you have the perspective of Christ? Yeah, but ultimately, when you, so you study his word and you get, you get through Matthew in the first few weeks of the year and then you get to Mark. I think Matthew and Mark both say, pick up your cross and follow me. So when you read that, what, what do you know then? Okay, for me to have the perspective of Christ... What must be true? I have to see things from Christ's perspective. What did Christ do? He surrendered to his Father and he obeyed the Father. Now, if I'm going to have his perspective, my perspective is as from an obedient person. Exactly. I can't have his perspective if I'm not surrendered to the will of God. Because... Yes, but it, not just willing, I have to do it. That's what I'm saying, Suzanne. Oh, yeah, sorry. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, I'm taking it for granted you have. <laughs> okay, right, out, out. No, I'm taking it for granted that you understand you're not just reading the words on a page, you're actually having to do it. But what I am saying is, read the words on the page and then say, is that me? Do I have the mind of Christ? I mean, Paul says, we have the mind of Christ. He might be talking about himself and the apostles, I don't know. I think he's talking about all of us, but we only have the mind of Christ. That word mind doesn't mean just brain. It means perspective and whole way of life. Do we have that perspective? Do you have the life, the way of life of Christ? There you go. So, Rosemary, so say all of us. We could do with more of it. And so how will we get more of it? Back, back, back. So, um, if we understand Christ's perspective, what did, what did Christ understand completely? completely? 
the will of God, his mission, yeah, his mission, and so in order to have that mind, Christ had to know the mission of God, know the purpose, and Christ said he, w- he would willingly give his life, no one would take it from him, so he understood that, so it wasn't just that he knew the plan of God, but he was surrendered to the plan of God, right, he, and his, God's plan was more important than his plan, right, so now, think about yourself, what did Christ find his value in then, or find worth in? What was, what was important to Christ? Yeah, being obedient. Okay, being obedient to God. So take that as your baseline. Your baseline is, I am surrendered to God. I am going to be obedient to what I read. What, what, how did that play itself out in Christ's life? Right. Yes, I'm going to just, we're going to leave that for now, Christian, but yes, that's true. We'll go where God sends us, basically, or takes us. Right, so where did he find value? Yeah, that's true. So where did, let's take that a bit, where did he find value? Doing the Father's will, yeah, but how did that manifest himself? What, would, what did he find value in? He found value in people. People, how, why, how do you know that? Because he, he died for people and for God. I mean, he, he, he went around preaching the gospel of the kingdom. Of course, it's all obeying his father. Yeah, yeah, for God so loved the world. So I want you to take surrender to God is down here on the floor. If, if you're not standing on that, none of the rest of it will make any sense or be any good. So if you're not already surrendered to God, go home and surrender to God. And then ask him to help you remember you've surrendered and keep doing that in everything. So that's your base. You've surrendered to God. You've picked up your cross, denied yourself, denied your right to the throne of your love, and you are walking on with God. You are gaining more and more knowledge of God. So you're understanding more and more of the details of his will the details of how it plays out in your life. So now you look at Christ and you think, okay, what did Christ value? Did he have lots of possessions? Did he have a big fancy car? Did he have a big house? Did he, you know, amass money? And No, he valued people. People. What sort of people? Any sort of people, exactly, any sort of people. Because Christ didn't look at the Pharisees and the scribes and say, get away from me, I'm not talking to you. You're all hypocrites. What did he do? He told them the truth because he knew a hypocrite needs to know the truth just as much as someone who doesn't know, doesn't know the truth but isn't a hypocrite. Do you see what I mean? There were no barriers to him. No barriers, yeah. No. It's not tolerance. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. Mm. Mm. 
So, find worth in people. What does that mean? In, so just take that, that his, his, his highest value was people coming to know God. So in, in what did he do with them or to them? Yeah, he loved them. He loved them. How did he love them? He blessed them. He healed them. He did all sorts of things. But how did he actually love them? He lived God in front of them. What you see me do, I only do what I see the Father doing. I only say what I hear the Father saying. That's what he said over and over and over again. When you're looking at me, he said, I want you to see the Father. I came to reveal the Father to you. I came to glorify the Father. I came to do all of these things. Now, when you're having his mind, what will that, how will that play out in you? You'll love people. So what will you want to do for that person? Reveal God to them. Reveal God to them. Yeah, well, yeah, yeah. But you will be manifesting God to them. So what does that look like in real life? I mean, in real nuts and bolts life, what does that look like when you're revealing the Father to a person? That means you don't raise your fist at someone when you're driving and they cut you up. Because God wouldn't raise his fist at that person. It means, yeah. <laughs> okay, Kim. Okay, we'll all pray for Kim. <laughs> it means at the checkout, when there's a long queue, you don't stand at, oh, oh, you know, you don't do that. When someone drives you nuts because they just, you, you just, they just so obviously wrong and you're so right. You don't tell them. Why not? Because it's far, far, far and more important that they see God than that they see how right you are. I'm not talking about the truth of God's word. I'm talking about the truth of the fact that God came and died for them because he loved them beyond anything they can imagine. Mm. Yeah. Because I can live the life, I can do all the right things and say all the right things, and I can stop myself from being rude to people, I can do all of that. Um, but do I take that responsibility and put the word in me to be able to speak it? Mm -hmm. Because that's one thing he did. If somebody came to him with a question, he answered Yeah, them. yeah. Or if they had a need, he Yeah. Uh, yeah, definitely that's true. But even more, see, you've just said you can do the right things. You've been a Christian a long time. You can do the right things. You can say the right things. Well, but yeah, okay. But Jesus is not talking about the fact that you can make yourself not say an unkind word. He's talking about you won't think an unkind thought. Now, I'm not talking about what you see. Do you see what I mean? I'm talking about so knowing God. And, and I mean, I am so far from this, really. But what I'm doing is knowing God so well that whenever we deal with anybody, all we see is a person who needs to know God, who needs to know how much God loves them, who needs to not be condemned, who needs to understand that Christ came to die for them in all of their mess and in all of their filth. It means that this, what you see is the 
reality of the soul within the outer shell because that's what Christ saw in you. The reality of the soul within the mess. That's where we need to get to. See, this is what I'm talking about. This in secret relationship, this growing in the knowledge of God is not just managing to say the right thing now and then. We've gone past that. We're now in the stages where we really have to love that person. And we can only love that person when we truly understand the love of God for us. Now, I'm not saying this is, this is not easy. You know, th- in humanly speaking, this is not easy. But it is a, if you discipline yourself to do what God says do, he'll take care of the rest. So yes, Rosie, put the word in. We, we, how could you possibly make sure you never had an unkind thought? I mean, I, I just wouldn't be able to leave the house. And even staying in the house would be difficult. <laughs> so, you know... Yes, but yes. But you know it's not right because you've fed your mind. So all I'm saying is I can't change every thought in my head that comes in. I can't change every feeling that I have. But what I can do is trust that God says his word never returns empty without accomplishing the purpose for which he sent it. Therefore, if I put his word in, he will accomplish his purpose in me. Oh. Mm. Yeah. 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 Definitely. Definitely. That's the evidence that God will give you that things are changing, you're changing, but also that He'll give other people, because a lot of this stuff you see last, other people see first. You know, because we are so critical about ourselves most often. You know. We see a lot of stuff in us that we we know shouldn't be there. We're really, yeah, exactly. So, okay, so you value people enough, you love them, so that you're not going to abuse them in whatever way that is, by shaking your fist or by shouting at the checkout girl or by whatever it is, or your family member who just, you know, drives you around the bend. Um, What was another way that Jesus, what perspective did Jesus have? Another perspective. I've just listed a few here, so I just, you know. Compassion, Compassion, yeah. I'm thinking more now abstract. So, um, right. But what was his eye on? His eye was always on God and always on what? Salvation. His eye was on eternal values, right? Not material or things on this pl- this planet his, eyes, his whole mind was focused on eternity and not here so when if you were to have the mind of Christ what should our focus be on eternity eternity of course we can't escape the fact that we live in a human body on a physical planet and we're always going to be doing battle between our human nature and our spiritual nature this is always going to be a fight 
Right, but what I'm saying is, if we can pick up the weapons that God has given us, we'll be more victorious in our fight. And one of the things he's saying to us is, in order to grow in grace and peace and joy and victory and life and everything else, we have to grow in our knowledge of God. And then we can expect him to change our focus so that we're not thinking about eternal, uh, this present world, we're thinking about the future. Now that will have ramifications in every area of our life. It won't matter then if um, family relationships are not as you would like them to be because the most important thing for you will be, will this whole family be in eternity with me? You know, it won't be like, I want to solve this and get this right and do this. If you're like me, I'm a solver. I want to make everything right. I, you know, I'm sure I've got the words to make everything in your life right. And I'm going to give you all those words. And so it will be less about that and more about maybe my silence and my love and my grace might speak more to you. I'm looking at you, Kim, but I mean everybody might speak more to you than a thousand words. And maybe I should be concentrating on doing whatever it needs to think about you in eternity rather than making things right in my little world or your little world. Christ found the unseen more real than the seen. That's what that means. It means disciplining ourselves to get to a place where what we don't see with our human eyes is more real to us than everything that we see with these eyes. Now again, I'm not sure that we can ever get to that place on this planet. So I'm not suggesting that we'll all get to that place. But what I am suggesting is if we aim for that place, we're going to get closer to it. And when we get closer to it, we will be manifesting the reality of God around us. Mm. Of Okay, so I, I think I, you could probably split that in two main things. So the unseen reality of heaven is my home. So this is just the place I happen to be wandering for a few years. So I want to move down to this area. Most people know that. But my husband doesn't want to move. And I've battled off and on for a few years. And, and it's partly it's partly not a super spiritual reason, it's partly because I like moving house. So um and poor man he's had to move a million times since we've been married. But but I've come to that place of understanding that I will live where I live and have to drive down here more often and have to um be put out in that way more. That's more important to me because my eye is on paradise and I want my husband with me in eternity. So I'm not going to battle him about this present. If he wants to live where we live, that's fine. I know that's a simple example, but I'm only doing that because I'm more concerned with what I can't see. So there's that, but then there's the other thing, that the unseen reality of spiritual forces that are against me, rather than seeing my problems in people. 
the reality of what Paul says, for our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers and the principalities. I mean, that's a battle for me because my instinct is always what well, it's all about her or him or whatever. And there, you know, if I could see the reality of, you know, the spiritual forces. Mm. Mm. Uh, it's the chaste behaviour, not the prayers, actually. It's the chaste behaviour of a wife, which is rather difficult in my case <laughs> because my behaviour is severely lacking in chasteness, whatever that is. Um, no, yeah, it, it, Peter says, actually, yeah, he says that who knows whether you as an unbelieving wife might win your unbelieving, your, a believing wife might win your unbelieving husband it, silently, actually, not speaking, just by your wonderful behaviour. <laughs> Which is another thing I need to concentrate on. <laughs> so, uh, yes, definitely, definitely. Um, okay, so what about Jesus? What did he enjoy in his day-to-day -day life? What did he enjoy? hard to think about Jesus because he was this thing completely but yeah no that's what I mean it's hard so I think to have the mind of Christ to have the perspective of Christ to, to be like Christ we have to find holiness so much more enjoyable than sin now that which is like being like God he is God so holiness is what God is and holiness in all its forms is we should be finding more enjoyable than sin, more fun than sin. Yeah. Yeah. I'm sure that's that's part of it. Holiness, the word holy means set apart yeah. and it means to be like God because only God is holy. So the more we enjoy holiness, it means the more we enjoy God and the more we enjoy living as God would want us to live. And that has ramifications in every area, eating, drinking. I enjoy being sober far, far, far more than I would enjoy a glass of wine. That's definitely true. Definitely true. My life attests to that. I think it is fun not to drink. Yeah, I know. Go figure. It's the fruit of obedience. It is, but but we need to practice that because that doesn't just doesn't happen. You have to practice holiness. We have to practice a holy life and and finding our enjoyment in holiness and not sin, because our whole humanity wants us to find our enjoyment in sin. Maybe. 
I think the more we know God, the less we find anything else get, comes close. Paul says, doesn't he, in Philippians 3, he says, not that I've attained all of this, I, don't att- I haven't attained this, but I press on, I press on. Mm. Yeah. Mm. Of course, exactly, exactly. That's what I'm saying, Maureen. Yeah, we're our worst critics, actually, often. So, so there's a balance here. There's a balance. We're not going to be perfect. We're not. We're always going to be on this path. There's always going to be a battle between the flesh and the spirit. Always. That's never going to stop. But hopefully, we're going to be winning that battle more often, and quicker. And we're going to be choosing things. Maybe. Some of us do, maybe, Kim. Other of us, you know. Yeah, I know. The trouble with me is when I tried not to overthink things, I just opened the fridge and poured a drink before I could think about it too long. Because I knew if I thought about it too long, I wouldn't do it. And I didn't want to be there. So what I'm saying is there has to be something. There's got to be something you put in your life and you start to develop that means that everything else becomes second best. And the only way to do that is to develop a relationship with God because he's fantastic. And the more we know him, the more we want to know him, and the more all the other stuff gets in the way. Um, And so that follows, really. If you want to enjoy holiness more than sin, you need to cultivate self-control. You have to cultivate self-control. And self-control is a fruit of the Spirit. but the fruit of the spirit of the spirit is manifested in us as we sink our roots down deep into the soil of God's word. Um, and self-control is not just in what we do; it's in what we think. Self-control is controlling how long you will allow the lie in your mind. How long will you let allow that to run around in your head? Control your mind. Exactly. Anger or bitterness or, or all of those, the rejection, all of those things. How long will you let that continue to fiddle around in your head? Mm. What do you mean? No, but sometimes the action and thinking are so close together, you can't really find the line that separates them. Speaking as one who knows, (laughs) you can't find the line. And I think it's easy often for people who don't struggle with a particular sin. We all struggle with sin, but it's it's quite easy for people who don't struggle with a particular sin. I happen to have lots of friends who never drank, (laughs) never. I mean, can you imagine the the humour of God that he would surround me with friends who never had a drink? Like, but and I wouldn't say that you start thinking. I didn't start thinking. Well, I'm you know I'm going to drink every day, and I'm probably going to have m- too much to drink every day. You don't start thinking that. You don't even think about it as you're doing it. It just happens to take hold of you because sin is corruptive and perverted, and it ha- takes a hold of you. And uh, and and so it's actually not the doing of it that was the difficult thing. It's the actually getting to a place where 
um, I could fill my mind with so much other truth or so much truth that that thing became a choice between that and God. I mean, I had an experience actually where God said we can't go any further, but but it it came to that point where this thing was so blocking my relationship with God, I could not bear to go on another day with it. And that's, you know, so I think that's the same for people who perhaps eat too much or who have drug addictions or addictions to all various things. It's the thinking about it isn't quite as straightforward as it might look from the outside. It's just a statement that we learned many moons ago that you know the rooks can nest in your sit on your head, but you don't want them to build nests. Yeah. And so sometimes the action actually doesn't follow, but the thought is there. Mm. And sometimes, um, and I have to say this, it didn't come up from my spirit, and, but this is my testimony. I had a thought I, in my head. I'd been quite judgmental, and I felt I was absolutely right in what I was thinking. And it so troubled me because this other Christian was doing this. And I know that that is not right. And I don't know what to do. And I was in turmoil for about half an hour. And then I went upstairs and I said, Lord, I just don't know what to do. What do I do about this? And I thought, oh, I'll read my daily readings. And what was it? Trust in the Lord with all thy heart and don't lean to thine own understanding. So that didn't come because I, I didn't think it came that way. But I learned it. Just immediately mm. cry out to him. Here's a thought. I mm. don't like it. It's causing me problems. And if it does mm. that to your mm. being, mm. ask him to, to sort mm. it. And he, he's so immediate with that. Mm. He's so immediate. So, mm. Yeah, it didn't follow into any bad actions. So nobody knew that had a naughty thought. <laughs> well, we do now. <laughs> <laughs> I don't want to ask. It was probably me. <laughs> so cultivate self-control. It is a fruit that can be nurtured, that can be fed. It's uh, definitely, I know from my own life, that is a definite thing. Self-control is a big, big issue. Do not be filled by the Spirit, Paul says. Sorry, do not be drunk on wine, but be filled with the Spirit. Um, and that he's. I don't think he's only talking about... Uh, uh, the wine necessarily he's don't be under the control of anything other than the spirit and that requires your self-control and there's no way around it it's a battle you have to fight and it yeah and it only but that actually that starts with draw near to God resist the devil and he will flee from you and that's the yeah me too and the secret is the key to that whole thing is draw near to God so, um, and yes, yes, definitely. And I think the thing is as well, I mean, I often talk about um, my drinking because it was a big thing, but, but, you know, Jude, Peter, Paul, they're not talking about only those sorts of things. They're not talking about the obvious drugs, sex, uh, drink. Um, they're talking about anything that you desire more than God. Anything you desire more than God has to be put to death and it has to be controlled in your life and in your mind. Um, it's not wrong to have desires, you know. I mean, God gave us our desires. He gave us wine to drink and food to eat and sex and, and all of it. He gave that to us, but it is the taking it outside the boundaries that he set that causes the problem. And when you take it outside the boundary, you're saying, I know best. 
I want to do this. Mm. Yeah. Exactly. That's exactly it. And you're saying, basically, you're saying, I know what I'm going to do, and I'm going to do it. So, um, so the threat to the church is from within, corruption from within, so that you can take that in the church corporate, and you can take it in smaller fellowship groups, and you can take it inside your own body. You are, are at more danger from within your own nature than you are from outside. That's why Paul writes about this battle between the flesh and the spirit. And it's not always obvious sin. It can be hanging on to an emotion from your childhood. It can be hanging on to something, that you, some wrong that was done to you. It can be hanging on to the guilt of something you did to someone else. All of those things, are they are at the foot of the cross. That's where you need to lay them, all of them at the foot of the cross. And you have to say to the Lord, I'm done with all of this. And I'm now picking up my cross, giving you the throne of my life and walking on with you. Um, so, how are you going to do that? You are going to commit to an in-secret relationship with God. Commit to it and no one will know about it. At least in the beginning. They'll start to see it as time goes by. You're going to commit to that in-secret relationship with God. The thing that only he and you know about. And you are going to start trusting that as you do that, the Holy Spirit will grow you up. And he will. He will. So, any questions about anything? Anything to share in any of that? We're going to finish next week. Uh, there's some homework online if you want to go online and uh, root it out. And that will be the last lot of homework because next week there will be no homework um, unless just reading through everything that we um, finish. Um, knowing peace in a shaking world. How will you know peace? Yeah, is that you will know God. You will know God. And... And the more that you know God, the more you are affected by that knowledge and the more other people will know God through you. <laughs> Don't psych him. It's all good. It's good. All good. And you're here. I mean, praise God. That is a victory, my dear. Really. And I'm standing saying... Oh, yeah, you could be. <laughs> um yeah, so let's pray. Father, thank you that um, thank you that uh, you have made all of this possible. You have set eternity in our hearts, Lord God, and you have uh, enabled us to understand the truth of eternity and where we're heading. And Lord God, you've you've shown us how we can do battle against our own flesh, actually, our own human nature, and in that way be doing battle against the world and Satan. You've shown us, Lord, how to be. <laughs> believers in the Lord Jesus, how to live and to, according to your plan and your purpose and how to be successful in our witness to you in the world, Lord God. And that's what we want. We want to tell people about you and we want to live in a way that manifests your glory. And Lord, you've given us that desire so we can know that you will bring forth the reality of that as we commit ourselves to doing what you show us to do, as we commit to the little 
the paths, the steps that we must take to out into this broad place that you will bring us. So I thank you, Lord. I thank you for your word. I thank you for your spirit who makes it real within us. I thank you for Jesus. I thank you, God, that you are God. And I thank you that you are drawing me closer through your word. And I pray, Father, that um, for all of us here, that we will commit to this in secret relationship with you because we truly trust that that will bring huge delight to our souls and that we will be used by you in your kingdom. In Jesus' name and for his glory. Amen. Amen, amen.